Wow, that was my response to driving through miles and miles of rolling hills covered in sunflowers. If you don't live in the Nebraska sandhills, you might try googling Nebraska sandhills and sunflowers to get some fantastic images from nature. This is a great time to enjoy the beauty of the countryside. The county fair is in full swing in our town, and there is much to celebrate and marvel at in the Sand Hills, a place where many ranchers and other workers get their living from. I imagine the disciples of Jesus, especially the disciples who were fishermen, appreciated making a living in the Sea of Galilee, but they also knew its dangers of wind and wave and storm. But that healthy respect of nature was nothing to the fear experienced by those disciples when Jesus comes their way walking on water and then he calms the storm. This very Son of God does something quite simple, but at the same time sublime. He gets into the boat with them and with us. Well, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. You see, the more you get to know Jesus, the more you realize he isn't some poorly written character with no depth and no complication. Uh, if you listen to St. Matthew today and listen to the gospel over the course of the last many weeks, or if you read the gospel of Matthew up until our chapter uh, 14 for today, for our reading, um, he'll help you, Matthew will, see that. That Jesus is, he's got depth, he's got some character, and maybe some contradictions. Um, but John the Baptist, for example, wasn't sure. So unsure was he that he sent his disciples to Jesus, knowing John did that his death was likely at hand. He had seen his whole life through Jesus. He, he was given a purpose by his ministry of preparation for Jesus. And then near the end, he was so confused by Jesus because his expectations of what Jesus would be didn't seem to match up with reality that he had to know. So John sent some of his disciples to Jesus with these words on their lips. Jesus, are you the one? Or should we spend the time we have left looking for someone else? Many were gathered to see Jesus. More than that, to hear Jesus. And he regularly defied expectations. They had traveled miles on foot to hear him, and they did sometimes walk away less than satisfied. Confused even. Jesus doesn't even receive a welcome home banner or a parade on his trip to his hometown. He's mocked, teased, uh, and sent away. Now he has compassion on and heals the, the deeply distressed, the, the diseased, the terribly sick. He touches the untouchable. And he hears the voice of the voiceless. He eschews private time with his closest friend, his friends, and feeds thousands with a meager supply. Unexpected, 
And now he misses the boat, <laughs> literally. Uh, and he's alone on a mountain. He who is prayed to by millions around the world spends time in prayer to his father. And when he finally says, Amen, his disciples and their boat are too far from the shore to hail. So what does he do? Well, Jesus walks across the water. They think he's a ghost. After all they had seen him do, this still stands out as special. Uh, he speaks words of comfort and then welcomes Peter onto the water. And But just as soon as this amazing uh, moment begins, it begins to slip away and, and Peter begins to sink. So the strong hand of Jesus takes hold of him and drags his soggy self into the boat. And Jesus openly wonders why Peter's faith didn't hold. And after all this, the mockery, the teaching, the healing, the doubts, the feeding, the walking on water, the elaborate and complicated vision Matthew provides for us. The disciples make this confession of faith. Jesus is no longer uh, just the one who healed or the one who provided. Jesus is no longer just the one who goes to parties or the one who restrains his strength and is mocked in his hometown. He commands audiences with the strength of his voice and commands all of creation as the sea rises to meet his feet. And then Jesus gets into the boat with them. God is in the boat. And the disciples realize for certain that they are uncertain for sure exactly of what this means. But they, they say, surely this is the Son of God. And they bow down and worship. And it is all one can do then in the presence of God. God is here. Do you really believe that? When you stand before this altar, when you speak the prayers, when the absolution is spoken, do you hear his voice? Would you come to church with a different attitude if you expected a miracle to happen today? Paul relates that the ancients prayed Maranatha, or come Lord Jesus, at their worship services. That's in 1 Corinthians 16, verse 22. They seem to have sincerely thought that the end of the world would happen while they gathered for the sacrament. Will it be today? What a shocker to the disciples who, when God got into the boat, Fear overcame them. Fear, like the, the emotion that gripped pro the prophet Isaiah when he stood before Yahweh, high and exalted, seated on a throne, seeing and hearing the song and the rustle of the wings of the seraphim. Fear that led him to say in the presence of God, woe is me, I am toast. Fear, wonder, awe. 
Now, unfortunately, unfortunately, we might feel just the opposite of those feelings. You know, kind of mm, blasé about God, uh, the world, church, and life. Uh, the younger generation has gifted us, or have gifted us with a good modern word for this, meh. Nothing special, meh. There is a term for the malaise that we feel. It's called disenchantment. We might feel like the world, worship, and life has, have become disenchanted. But this reading helps us to see these things anew in the light of the incarnate presence of God and to act accordingly. So let's do a quick comparison and contrast uh, between the disenchanted world and church and life versus, I'm going to call it, the God in the boat, meaning the incarnate presence of God, God in the flesh, Jesus, in church, in the world, and life. First, let's take a look and think a little bit about the disenchanted world. Um, our whole world has become disenchanted. Ordinary, mundane. Uh, the German sociologist uh, Max Weber saw it over a century ago. We walk under open skies where our ancestors in faith, when they looked at the skies, uh, they viewed it as walking beneath angels and archangels and communed in all the heavenly company. Today, we might look up and see Empty space, perhaps the, the handiwork of God, but more likely a pitiless vacuum or the caustic atmosphere of Venus. Well, let's contrast that with the God in the boat view of the world. Jesus has come into this mundane world and there was a day when the manger held more than the universe and the Son of God hung on a cross. Now this world matters much to him. It is a holy and wondrous thing. And that changes our viewpoint about the world. When we look at the night sky, for example, maybe we need to recapture a sense of wonder and awe that the ancients of our faith had. C.S. Lewis kind of captured this, recaptured this sense of enchantment, um, didn't call the night sky space, but the heavens. The heavens have a voice. Did you know that? Doesn't the psalmist say, the heavens declare thy praise? In another psalm, Psalm 8, David writes, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all of the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens. And then verse 3, and when I consider your heavens... The work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them. The disciples in the boat, they struggled at that night against uh, invariable forces of nature. Now being fishermen, they knew the power of wind and waves. They probably known men who had drowned in this lake they had comforted grieving widows and contributed to support their orphaned children. It is what men 
who make a living on the water do. This night, however, they encountered one who did not need to obey those rules. (laughs) He could bend those rules, they realized, because he had written them. He walked out to them on the water. And who got into the boat with them and with us? Again, the ancients of our faith help us here, as we confessed earlier in the Nicene Creed. Who got in the boat with them and us? God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things are made. The second category is church. Sometimes we have this feeling of of a disenchanted church. You know, you might think this way. Well, my church has become kind of disenchanted. I look around my church. It seems that the, you know, the magic has gone out of the place. Uh, The same old faces just keep getting older. (laughs) There is that simmering tension about something. And everyone is concerned about the budget, but no one seems to be worried or excited about Jesus. Let's contrast that, though, with God in the boat view of church. But Jesus comes to us in humility, humility today and glory tomorrow. The same Jesus whose arrival will be heralded with trumpets and heavenly hosts comes now in bread and wine and water and people. And they are far more than they appear to be. The disciples, it says, were more afraid of the Jesus who walked on water and calmed the waves and got in the boat with them than they had been when the storm raged all around them. For pious, even zealous Jewish men, this is significant. They worship Jesus. They know that they may only worship one, the one who created The world parted the Red Sea, put David on the throne, and sent the prophets. Jesus is that one. The world has largely rejected God because they often imagine the God whom they reject to be less than the forces which govern this universe. We reject such a God as well. Rather, we worship this God, this one who wrote the rules and sustains the cosmos. And what are we looking for? And more importantly, what has Christ promised us in this gathering we call church? We too are here to worship him. He has promised to be here to forgive our sins, to make real and present once more the incarnate presence of the Lord of heaven and earth. And he comes not in judgment today, he comes today to build um, he comes today to build the most precious gift of all, the faith which trusts in him and finds in him the solution to every problem. He comes not in judgment today, but that day comes, and he comes today to make you ready for that day of judgment. The third area of comparison and contrast is our life. Looked at the world, church, and now our lives, our lived lives. You might begin thinking, you know, my life has become kind of disenchanted. 
I cannot be but discouraged by my sin. Um, not if I, I cannot but be discouraged by, by my sin, not if I really think about it. I might forget about it. Uh, sometimes it's just easier to forget about how messed up my life is. And alcohol or, or drugs can, could, quote-unquote, help me do that. Let's contrast that to God is in the boat of your life. Paul writes in Galatians 2, verse 20, But it is not I who live anymore, it is Christ in me. Let me repeat that, personalize it for you. But it is not you who live anymore, it is Christ in you. And the Jesus who got Peter out of that boat and on the water is your Jesus. And he is not put off by your or my lack of faith or sinfulness. Peter says, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. First of all, there's some humor here. <laughs> because Jesus just said right before Peter asked this, he says, you know, basically, do not fear, it is I. And then Peter goes, Lord, if it is you. It sounds actually similar to the words of Satan and the temptation of Jesus in the desert at the beginning of his ministry, if you are the Son of God. But notice how differently Jesus treats Satan in the temptation and Peter. Jesus defeats Satan then with the word of God and again on the cross and in the resurrection. And in contrast, Jesus has this gracious response to Peter. He even called Peter from the boat to walk with him. Peter did, though fear caused him to take his eyes off Jesus and he needed rescuing. But here's the point. Jesus is not put off by your and my lack of faith or sinfulness. God is in the boat. And he doesn't throw us overboard. In our lived lives, where do we place our hope? You know, our hopes, our dreams, our hope for ourselves and for our children. We hear about the violent crime in cities and all the urban ills. And we thank God while well, we live here. We live here in the country, in the sand hills. Do we hope that we're far away enough in the sand hills, in the country, in a small village, or on our ranch to escape all that? All that bad news that we hear in the big cities. I came across recently a cartoon. It's a cartoon of four men in a rowboat at sea. The boat is sinking. The boat is swamped at the aft or the stern of the boat, and this makes the boat tip upwards with the bow in the air. And the two men who are dry are perched in the bow of the rowboat, and they're looking down at the other two men who are desperately bailing out the water out of the boat with buckets. The boat looks like it could sink at any moment. And in the cartoon, the two men in the boat, in the bow, perched up high, they look relaxed and unconcerned. And one of the men in the bow of the boat says to the other, sure glad the hole isn't at our end. 
we are all in the same boat. Living in the country and, and the country life is good. It's right and salutary, as we would say in church. Um, we celebrate that life, right? We celebrate that life in the, you know, for example, in the Grant County Fair. This is all good. These are gifts from God. But it is not where we find our ultimate hope. You see, without God, we have no hope in a sinking ship. Without God, we can move the deck chairs around, but the, the ship is still going down. So where do we go to place our hope? We place our hope in the Son of God who stepped into the boat. In Jesus who rescued us from and rescues us from sin, death, and the devil and places us in the ship of the church. And that's not going down. God is in the boat with us. And this is, this is motivation. This is motivation for us to get out, to get out of the cozy confines of our pew and the relationships which we find so comfortable. The disciples ended up in some pretty strange places after Jesus got into that boat. Where are we going? Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.